This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, so I'm getting on the plane this year, February 3rd, 2020. Making the trip back from Melbourne, Australia after the first major of the year. You know, there's a whole group of tennis people getting on this flight. It's a Monday morning after the Australian Open final, the men's final. Of course, Novak Djokovic won his eighth Australian Open title, beating Dominic Team in five sets. Sonia Kennan won her first major title ever, beating Garbina Muguruza in the women's final. So as we all gear up and get ready to take the long trip back, usually, as I said, a bunch of tennis people on the flight home, a lot of ESPN people, a lot of our production team, of course, many of the announcers as well. So we usually take the flight Melbourne, sometimes have to make a stop in Sydney or a straight Melbourne, L.A. A few of the announcers live there, and then some of us make the trip uh, further back east to New York. So we're gathering in the lounge. We, we do get to fly business class when we fly overseas, so we're flying back, so we get to go to the nice lounge you know, leading up to uh, the flight. Brad Gilbert, Chris Fowler, Chris McKendry, Pam Schreiber, Chris Everett, um, am I missing you? Mary Jo usually goes back with her family. You know, Tony Gotsik is her uh, husband. He's Roger Federer's manager. We'll talk about Roger as well. Of course, he's not going to be at the Australian Open coming up, which is going to start in February. So I find out as soon as we get on the plane, I'll be sitting next to the one and only Brad Gilbert who I love and who's been on my podcast before. In fact, one of the most listened to podcasts I've ever had was with Mr. Gilbert. So people love to hear him. They love to uh, hear hear his stories and what he has to say about the game of tennis and about uh, the game of life. So I get to sit next to Brad Gilbert on the ride home. Um, so Brad, if you know anything about him is, uh, is, uh, what you call a freak when it comes to keeping being clean. I'm, I'm searching for the word uh, germ germaphobe kind of person. You know, he always has the, the, the stuff you can clean your hands with the sanitary uh, stuff. What, what is it called? I mean, everybody knows everybody's using it now. It's gone out of style, the Purell, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was right at the beginning when we were just hearing stories about this, mysterious virus, you know, that was starting to hit uh, China late January. So we were literally, it's February 3rd. We're getting on the plane to fly home back to the U.S. And Brad has got the gloves on. He's got the mask on. And I'm thinking, Brad, what, what do you, I mean, what are you doing, man? I mean, this is, you'll lighten up here. He's like, no, no, I'm not taking any chances. And of course, here we are. Almost uh, a year later, not quite a year later, that was, as I said, early February, and old Brad Gilbert was on to something. Uh, he's always been worried about, I mean, many obviously experts have, but worried about this kind of outbreak, which we have uh, seen take over the world this year. So it's been, uh, that was the start of 2020. Okay, which uh, we always, those of us in the tennis world and the tennis business, whether you're lucky enough like me to get to go to Australia or just watch it, <clears throat> follow it on TV or on social media, however you follow it, 
look forward to that first event of the year down under in Australia. So this year coming up in 2021, of course, it's going to look uh, quite a bit different. We're not sure how different uh, will they allow all the fans in that they normally do. There's basically no cases in Australia. Of course, a big uh, negotiation has gone on for the last couple of months about how to get the players in safely, how to let them train properly, uh, and get ready for the first major uh, event of the year, which is why partly the reason why the event has been now pushed a couple of weeks later to the first. It'll start February 8th, which is about three weeks later uh, than it was due to start, mid-January. So that's means that there's been some shuffling in the schedules, uh, both the men's and women's tours. Uh, the, the players will have to quarantine for about two weeks, not for about, I should say, for two weeks, for 14 days when they arrive in Melbourne. But unlike what initially uh, was going to be the story, they will be allowed to practice during that time, either at the site of the Mel- Australian Open Melbourne Park or the practice site, a place called Albert Reserve, in addition to staying at one of, I believe, two hotels, very similar to what they did in New York for the U.S. Open, where they essentially created a bubble uh, around the event. Uh, Australia has been taking this pandemic a lot more seriously than certainly we have uh, governmental-wise in, in their country than, they have, than we have in our country as far as you know, locking things down. And, of course, they're an island country, and they've had a history of having plagues wreak havoc on the population. So... They took it extremely seriously, uh, and that's continued through this negotiation of what's going to happen at the Australian Open. Uh, So the players will be able to practice for two hours a day with one other player. They'll be able to train two hours a day, fitness training, gym work, track work, whatever that may be within that practice location, and one hour of nutrition they're allowed to have while they're at the practice facility or at the Melbourne Park where they'll be training Uh, And then the rest of the time they have to be in the hotel. But initially they were going to make the players do a full two-week quarantine, which is what you have to do if you just fly into Australia. Uh, As a a citizen coming home, Darren Cahill, for example, had to do that when he went back there. I think I mentioned that in an earlier podcast. So that's why uh, there was a lot of negotiation going on because certainly for the players, that wasn't going to be able to work if they'd have to stay in their room for two weeks and then go out and play a tournament. so I look back on this past year and I look at uh, that first major of the year where Djokovic was two sets to one down uh, against Dominic Team. Looked like he was totally out of gas in that th- midway through the second and the third set. Looked like he was totally out of it. Somehow he was able to pace himself, tell his team to get him some drink concoctions of some various drinks, which obviously was trying to put some fluids or um, nutrients of some sort, minerals back into a system. Uh, so he sort of bought himself some time, which you can do in five sets, and that was enough to, you know, sort of get him back to feeling like he was normal again. I think in early in that fourth set, work his way back to back into it, and then win uh, in five sets, a thrilling five set. Or Dominic Team, you know, had him on the ropes. Uh, that was the third time he'd been in a major final a couple times previously at the French Open against Rafael Nadal. This time he was even closer, being up two sets to one, but could not put Djokovic away. And Djokovic found a way uh, to win it in five sets. So I'm on the plane, back with Gilbert. He's talking for a while. But, you know, we, we end up relaxing and, 
you know, I kind of enjoy that trip to Australia. I enjoy, of course, I love going to the events. One of my favorite, if not my favorite event to go to. And uh, very comfortable on that plane ride home, and which actually gives me an opportunity to tell you about my pillow because you know how important my pillow is to me. And when I talk about traveling and being able to go around the world, whether it's to staying in hotels or on planes, but now that I've discovered my pillow, it's like I can't wait to get back on the travel road again because I just got into it. They've been nice enough to sponsor my podcast. They sent me some of the pillows and some of the other things. I can't believe I've been going this long without it, to be honest. It's, it, they don't go flat. They actually feel like they get more comfortable as you sleep on them. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, keep their shape. Of course, made in the USA. If you don't have my pillow, you got to get it. I mean, now's the time to get a premium my pillow. You get the queen size premium my pillow regularly, $69.98. Sale through the holidays and through the new year, just $29.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings for king size beds, only five bucks more. So now is definitely the time to get it. If you missed it for Christmas, get it, get it for the new year for someone you love and you care about because it's an unbelievable gift. You can buy it now. Mike will extend that 60 day money back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. So go to mypillow.com. Click on the radio listener square. You'll find not only this amazing offer, but discounts on all things MyPillow products. The Giza Dream bed sheets, the mattress topper, towel sets. I told you earlier about I got the little pillow for my dog. I gave one to my neighbors, got a bigger dog. They're amazing. All right, here's the number to call. 800-875-1023. Here it is again. 800-875-1023. And use the promo code COURT. All right, so now that you know how to deal with uh, MyPillow, get to that site, check out that number. Let me give it to you just one more time, just to make sure you got it. 800-875-1023. Use the promo code COURT, MyPillow.com. You will love it, trust me. So I make the trip back, get back to New York early February. Pandemic starts to heat up a bit, especially early, late February, early March. I'm getting ready to make the trip out to the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells, the next sort of big event on the calendar, the tennis calendar. Um, Had to go out there to cover it for ESPN and BNP also, full disclosure, sponsors our tennis academy here in New York, the John McEnroe Tennis Academy at Randall's Island. So they give us a big chunk of money to support our kids that uh, couldn't afford all the things that we could give them. Uh, so they've been awesome to us, and I thank them for all their support of our program, but also for all of tennis all over the world. So I'm getting ready to head out there to cover that and to do some uh, sponsorship stuff for BNP, but also to cover it for ESPN. We usually cover the last four or five days of the event. Many of the players are out there training, practicing, getting ready for it. And that's uh, when they well, had the first shutdown of one of the NBA games. Remember a couple of players got it. They, they shut an NBA game down. I believe they closed. They shut down. They called off the BNP Paribas Open just before that. It was really the first major sporting event, certainly in this country, in the USA, to get shut down because of, uh, because of COVID. And uh, it was wild because uh, literally it was a couple of days I was getting ready to go out there and, 
as I said, many of the players were already already there in Southern California. Uh, Indian Wells is the area, part of the Palm Springs area, where uh, people from all over the country come to this event. It's sort of like the fifth major. Uh, Larry Ellison, of course, is putting a ton of his own money in, into that event, and he's uh, turned it into probably the biggest and event outside the majors and uh man it was just bizarre and uh, i remember going on a radio show with my buddy chris mad dog russo who was one of my first uh, guests on my podcast he's of course the from the great mike and the mad dog show and now he's got his own show on sirius and he's got an amazing career in radio in many ways inspired me to uh get into radio to start my own podcast and He's awesome, and he happens to be a huge tennis fan. So I remember going on his show with him, and he's like, well, Patrick, what are they going to do? Are they going to shut everything down? Well, next thing you know, you're not going to be able to go to any games. Next thing you know, what, are they going to shut down restaurants next? Are they going to shut down theater? You're not going to be able to go to Broadway? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think that's actually what might happen. Chris, no, you can't do that. That's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. How could they do this? Lo and behold, a couple days later, that's pretty much what happened, and here we are. So we're the end of the year. Uh, you know, the year in tennis and pro tennis got back up and running in the middle of the summer uh, with some lead-up events to the U.S. Open, a couple of uh, small events in Europe. And I, I got to tell you, the USTA did an amazing job being able to pull off the uh, second major of the year. Of course, the French Open was postponed. That happened after the U.S. Open back in, in October Wimbledon was uh, canceled for the first time since World War II, I believe it was. And I remember texting back and forth with my brother, with Johnny Mac. And he said, man, it's like a real punch in the gut, you know, when Wimbledon gets canceled. Uh, because the other events at least were looking, well, maybe we can have it later in the year as, as they did with the French Open. Um so when Wimbledon canceled, that really kind of kind of hit hard uh, to the tennis world. I mean, obviously, sporting fans as well around the world. Of course, uh, we found out shortly thereafter that the All England Club, which hosts the Wimbledon Championships, had pandemic insurance. So uh, they were able to uh, do okay through that. And, of course, they're a private club over there in uh, southwest of London, and so, you know, a little bit similar to the Masters, the Augusta uh, Club, where they host the Golf's Masters. So they're their own sort of private club, and they can basically do what they want. They don't have the same sort of financial pressures that the Australian Open and the U.S. Open and uh, other big tennis events. But those majors obviously make the most money, but they also give a lot of money to their associations or federations to, to support and fund tennis programs, you know, all over their respective countries. So I would say they're under a little more financial pressure. The, by the way, the All England Club does give a lot of money to the, what's called the LTA, the Lawn Tennis Association. Um, they don't have to because, as I said, they're a private club, but they do that, and they do a lot of great things for tennis and, in fact, very much for, uh, forward thinking throughout the year. So they actually gave the players a decent hunk of money, hunk of change, the players that would have been in the tournament, which no other tournaments, at least that I know of, were able to do. That didn't take place. U.S. Open took place 
And of course, there was a warm-up tournament at uh, Cincinnati, the Western and Southern Open, which normally takes place in Cincinnati, took place in New York. That was bizarre. I was there for that, covering that in that sort of U.S. Cincinnati, U.S. Open, USTA, New York bubble. Players stayed in two different uh, two hotels on Long Island, which the USTA essentially took over. They're basically like extended player areas, player lounges. So they had a couple of uh, very few minor, uh, I mean, not minor, uh, tests, positive tests of players and, and um, part of the player entourages. Uh, Benoit Pair was one of them, the French player. Guido Pella, I believe, from Argentina, his uh, trainer, tested positive. But for the most part, uh, I'm not in any way uh, downplaying what happened to those particular players, but for the most part, the event itself went off you know, incredibly well. And then you go on to the French Open, of course, a couple weeks later. Dominic Team wins the U.S. Open, wins his first major. Djokovic, of course, has a huge uh, blow up there by hitting the ball uh, and hitting the lines person in the throat. So he's defaulted, which cost him big time and, and allowed Dominic team and Alexander Zverev to get to the championship match. Both play a very tight match, but in, in the end team, uh, the better player came from two sets down to win that in five sets and win his first major. And I think it was well-deserved for him to win that, uh, if Djokovic was in the tournament, certainly it would have been way more complicated, but I'm not going to say he couldn't have done it. It would have been more difficult. Obviously, Nadal decided not even to come and play, didn't want to come to New York, didn't want to leave uh, Mallorca where he lives in Spain, wanted to get himself ready for the French Open, which turned out to be a very smart decision because uh, we start the French Open a couple weeks after the U.S. Open, Weather a lot different. The ball's apparently a lot different, according to the players. Uh, not bouncing as high. The weather making the, uh, it cooler and damper. Nadal didn't like the conditions. So what does he do? He just com- utterly dominates the tournament, <laughs> destroys Djokovic. I was actually out teaching a couple lessons the morning of the French Open final, okay, because I wasn't covering it because ESPN doesn't cover it. It was on uh, Tennis Channel and then NBC for the finals. And I had my three ladies, you know, that I teach. And I was on the court with them, giving them a lesson, playing. And I was following the scores on my phone. I'm like, Wait, it's 4-0 Nadal. It's 6-0, it's 6-0 2-0. Like, what, what is going on? Of course, it was 6-0. It, every game, I think, was do sad, do sad. But uh, Djokovic, you know, got into it a bit in the third, but basically got steamrolled by Rafa in that championship match in the French Open final. Uh and on the women's side, I mean, what a what a tournament from the young Polish girl, Swiatek. She is a very talented player, very athletic. You had the youngster in Kenan winning, as she did at the Australian. And then, of course, Osaka comes back and puts on a heck of a show at the U.S. Open to win it, comes out each match with a mask of, uh, of a person who had been killed by the police in the United States. And uh, that... that had a huge impact in a lot of ways. Some people didn't like it, but I thought it was an awesome move by Osaka. And I thought it was awesome also that she came out the first night. So maybe, you know, I've got seven of these after her first round win. And so she was confident and she got it done. She won that championship match. Um, it was a great performance for her. And she basically then shut it down, didn't go over to Europe. 
Uh, Swiatek won that, beat Kennan, who got to the final there. After losing, by the way, in the in the tournament in Italy in Rome, 0-0. She lost to Azarenka, who had just gotten to the final of the U.S. Open. So I thought that was pretty impressive from Sonia Kennan. I told our kids at our tennis academy a week or two after the final, I said, uh, do you know that Sonia Kennan, who, who made the final of the French Open, lost 0-0? She lost 0-0, okay, like a week before the tournament. So that's a great lesson for, for kids and um, playing at any level, but, you know, decently competitive level as many of our kids at our academy. So that was, you know, that's why she got named Tour Player of the Year, Kennedy, because you won one major, got to the finals of another. Uh, the year ended up, uh, you know, with the ATP finals, which I covered for ESPN at the O2 Arena. I covered it from Bristol, Connecticut, which looks like that's where I'll be covering the Australian Open from, and, uh, along with my compadres at ESPN, the headquarters of ESPN. So we will not be making the trip down under. And it's always right about this time during the holidays and, you know, looking ahead to the new year where you get excited about that trip to Australia. Many of the players would already be there, would be on their way to the Middle East or to the Australia to play some warm-up tournaments for a couple of weeks. And us in the TV business, I used to do the same thing when I was a player. We come in you know, a couple of days before the event, but it's always an event you look forward to. It's a tough trip because you leave, leave the family here for 17, 18 days. So that's tough in the middle of winter, but it's, a, it's, you know, to be able to go to that event has been an absolute privilege. I've been there going there every year since 91, which by the way, if those tennis fanatics will remember I actually made the semifinals that year. Um, that's a story for another day, which I may tell in another podcast. It's kind of a fun story of how, that all happened, and me training a couple weeks before in Hawaii with Eric Hyden, you know, the famous speed skater. So I might get into that at another time. But looking forward to uh, what 2021 brings us. Obviously, we're all hoping the vaccine gets rolled out as quickly and efficiently as possible so we can, we can all get back to some sense of normalcy. It's probably not going to happen for the immediate future. I, I, I'm sort of circling on my calendar, just so you know, that in the, you know I always relate stuff to the tennis season as Wimbledon is sort of the marker of where will we be, you know, in the, obviously in the tennis world for me and you tennis fans, but also just in the world in general, that's the middle of the year. It's early July. Will things be back to some sense of normalcy by that point? That sort of, to me is like, it's, it's sort of touch and go. Maybe it's just, you're hearing some people say, well, maybe late spring, summer, Maybe it's going to take to the fall, you know, till people enough people get vaccinated and herd immunity and all that stuff. Uh, we shall see where it all goes. But I want to wish everybody out there a very happy and healthy holiday season. Hope you enjoyed Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever you celebrate. And New Year's is just around the corner. So have a great New Year. It's going to be a different celebration this year. We've been doing the same thing here in the McEnroe household in New York, just chilling. Staying home, trying to keep busy, read, write, listen to podcasts. Yeah, of course, I let my girls go on their phones here and there. I do the same. So does my wife. Uh, but do it in moderation like everything else. Enjoy yourselves. Looking forward to a great 2021. It'll be different to start. And let's hope that uh, we can get some back to some sense of normalcy. Thank everyone for listening and supporting the podcast. My first big sponsor and my pillow have been awesome. So thank you to them. And uh, we will see you down the road here on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mm-hmm.